so much for this day, and we're just uh, thankful, Lord, that uh, we have strength to rise from our beds, and uh, through these few days of our life, you have made us, and we bow before you as our maker. But more than that, so many of us know that uh, you as Savior, we've been blood-bought by the calling and election and keeping of yourself, and we thank you for that. But more than that, third, we are yours in that you are preparing us for heaven, uh, the gospel in us, sanctification, Lord. We're not ready. We're not ready yet, but someday we will be, even so come quickly. And Lord, we ask that you'd open the word and that you would teach it to us. We pray that surely the presence of the Lord would be in this place. We come uh, the people, all of us have heartaches and brokenness and feel inadequate and some of us are wondering about uh, great issues, Lord, and are sort of down under it. Encourage us. Breathe into our hearts faith and hope and love. Renew our purpose and our focus in life. Uh, we pray for that, Lord. May we put away sin and recognize that we're your project, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so, Lord, accomplish your purpose. Bless this hour, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Keep uh, your Bible open. If you, if you opened it to Psalm 39 uh, that uh, Susan just read for us, is, that will be our focus here uh, in our time. I've, I've entitled it uh, time, uh, time in a Bottle with a question mark. Time in a Bottle. Um, this uh, psalm, just by a few words of introduction before I give my introduction, uh, means a great deal to, uh, to me. I always like to speak on time and at the beginning of a year. Uh, I always go through the discipline. Where have I been? How did I do? Where did I fail? Uh, Lord, what do you want me to accomplish if you should allow me to live in the next 12 months? And uh, so it's upward and onward because, you know, the Christian life is a, is, is a swim upstream. Do you, you realize that? If you're drifting, you're downstream. You're You're down. You've got it with intense intentionality and focus and effort. Focus on the Lord, and we're swimming against the current uh, of our day, the spirit of the age, against uh, Satan. Uh, you've got to be intentional. I want each one of you as your pastor to be intentional in the way you live and spend. Isn't it the greatest asset we have is time? It really is. It's not your money. That's coin time. But it's your time. And one day, and we're all running, and uh, I don't know if it's in a bottle or not. You know, that's why I say time in the bottle. Uh, this, this psalm was punctuated to me in my own personal life because I was sitting at the kitchen table in uh, 1999, and I received a telephone call from Faithy's brother, and Paul said, uh, Terry, he said, uh, Pop, uh, Pop is in heaven this morning. And uh, Faithy's dear dad uh, woke up that morning, uh, and uh, was ushered into glory. And I'm reading Psalm 39. Life is a breath. I'm like, wow. And you know what even under, uh, punctuates it that much more to me? I think this year is five years that Paul, who called me and told me, Pops in glory, Paul's in glory. He's gone. And I go like, wow, I don't... Wow, that's like, under. you ever have a teacher underline this in red? You know you're going to see this on the exam, right? Underline it twice. And you say, wow, it's been underlined twice to me. In my own family, in Faithy's own family, 
uh, and so it means a, a great a great deal to me. Uh, time, time in a bottle. I look at your introduction. One man writes, the clock never stops. Tick, 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 tick. You know how many times your heart uh, ticked, incidentally, during the night, on an average night? This may astound you. It's amazing. I was talking about this with my mother as she, her heart stopped uh, back in August. Your heart ticks through a normal eight hours while you're sleeping 21,000 times. Is that amazing? Are we not fearfully and wonderfully made? And mom said, I, I lay my hand on my heart at night when I'm in bed, and by the own ticking of my heart, I fall asleep. I wonder about that old heart, the decrepit arteries, <laughs> three stints now. Wow. The clock never stops ticking. Nothing but God, this man writes, is more persistent than the passing of time. You can't stop it. You can't slow it. It is sovereign over all human resistance. It will not be hindered or altered or made to cease. Now, I know two of you are going to say to me, well, what about Joshua? <laughs> and what about Hezekiah? Okay, there's the footnote. But you're not either of those, and I'm not either. So, okay. It's utterly uh, oblivious to the young and the old, to pain and pleasure. Have you noticed that? Crying and laughter? Tick, tick, tick. Tick. Nothing, absolutely nothing makes a difference to the unstoppable, un, uh, one unchangeable tick, tick, ticking of time. Wow. Going, going, almost gone. Psalm 90. Well, in 1972, a million years ago for some of us, right? But not so much. The older I get, it seems like it wasn't that long ago. Right? 1972, Jim Croce. I mean, how many, raise your hand if you knew him. I mean, knew of him. <laughs> Thanks, you. <laughs> if you knew him, I want your autograph. Anyway, he wrote and sang the song, Time in a Bottle. Time in a Bottle, where he sung, There never seems to be enough time to do the things you want to do once you find them. I've looked around long enough to know that you're the one. I won't sing it for you. You're the one I want to go through time with, right? And then on September 20, 1973, he is on his Life and Times tour. He's 30 years old. He's in Louisiana. He leaves from the airport, and the plane never cleared the trees at the end of the runway. The plane crashes. And Jim Croce dies just after the release, a number of months earlier, of Time in a Bottle. Now that's, I will say this, I mean, that's really a terrific way to sell records. Because I remember sitting there like I was in high school, I, I was in college, or I was I think like, there must be a meaning in this. I want to listen to it very carefully, you know, because he punctuated it with his own death. He's only 30 years old, and he left his wife and so on. Well, how true. There never seems to be enough time. Wow, how true. Life is passing at uh, warp speed. It feels like that. My mother said that to me Saturday morning. She said, I get up in the morning and go look in the mirror and I don't know who I'm looking at. <laughs> Could be a lot of reasons for that, right? <laughs> but we, we know you should. I, I understand what that is. She goes, I can't, I can't believe it. Warp speed. Well, David, David wrote a psalm in which he too fusses and muses about the brevity and uncertainty of life. 
And you know, it's good for us to listen to this. This is a wisdom psalm. It helps us better embrace the reality that our lives are only a vapor. The world doesn't like to think about such things as life and death and eternity. That's a real killjoy at a party, right? Because thinking of it spoils the fun, but in thinking about it makes us harder to be manipulated. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they conspire to keep us amused and entertained. I remember Jim Boyce and Francis Schaeffer writing at length about the arts and the entertainment, and some of them are very good, and they, they reflect reality and somewhat just the broken dust of people and the brokenness of our world. But a lot of it's designed to be like an anesthesia. So you're going to get entertained, so you don't have to think about ultimate realities. Amusement means, muse means to think. The A is the negation of it. It's the realm of non-thinking. And there are a lot of folks like that, right? This is what most people do today as they drift through life and pass through the dark doors of death into eternity. Well, David helps us in this Psalm 39, this wisdom psalm, and it's good for us at the beginning of the year to look at that. Well, there are three insights helping you to make the most of your time by embracing its uh, brevity. And I have to say it again, my favorite poem by Robert Frost, and miles to go, Deb, I'm not even looking at you, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep, and Terry adds, maybe, but maybe not. And I've lived long enough and been a pastor long enough, and I've buried babies and old folks and everyone in between at different ages. Maybe, miles to go, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Well, three insights. First insight, verses 1 to 3, is kind of the introduction to the song. And I, I say by way of application, like David, I urge all of us, be careful what you say when you're troubled by life. And we're all troubled by life. It hits us in the face. It's a phone call. It's disappointment. It's the loss of this or that. And we all get hit. I didn't see that coming. And it's just a warning to, to, uh, to emulate, imitate David here, where he didn't just shoot his mouth off, uh, expressing his dismay, brokenness, dissatisfaction with the Lord. Because all oh, disappointment, really, if we're not careful, uh, is ultimately against the Lord. You're in charge, and you let this happen. You know, we might not say that. We're not that bold to do that. But ultimately, you know, it's a boss, a family member, a neighbor, a son, a daughter, you know, this and that. It's God's fault. David here just got hit with a big blow. We don't know what it is. And he's fuming and fussing over uh, life. Maybe it was another trip back from the cemetery. Maybe it was in one of his conflicts of war where he's looking at all the, of his soldiers, loyal, and, and many of them dead now, lost. Maybe it was, he, he's in the midst of feeling the heat of God's discipline too, and God stripped him some blessings and to get his attention, and, uh, and so on. And so like David, you and I must be careful what we say when we're troubled by life. Verses 1, 2, and 3. Let's, let's reread it. I know Susan read it. Look at verse 1. I said, I'll guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. He's going to muzzle it. So long as the wicked, that is those that don't know the Lord, are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail. My distress grew and grew and grew. Smoke's coming out of his ears, so to speak. My heart became heart, uh, hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. 
and, uh, and, and then, he's, then he finally speaks, and we'll look at that next. But look, look, David found himself fuming as he thought about life and its apparent meaninglessness, yet he kept his mouth shut about, the, about this all because of the ungodly around him. He was tender of heart. He knew the Lord, and uh, he didn't want to, in the crowd, express his great dismay at the Lord uh, that, that those around would hear. And he knew that his words, if he did so, would be misunderstood and misused by the unsaved. They would use his words to slander his God. David, you said you trust the Lord. Ha! Look what you said. One of these things, you know. And the world likes to do that. They, they watch the Christian's life. They know it's something different, something beautiful. And they, and they expect perfection. We're not perfect. One day we'll be. But we, we, we're, we're, and, and when stuff happens... You know, from the heart out, they're watching. How, and it's the unrehearsed response, the reflexive response that shows really what's on the inside. You know, it's nothing to be, uh, oh, I'm going to think a lot about what I'm going to say here and craft my words, and here it is, you know, versus something that hits us and the thing that comes out. That really is the unrehearsed, uncontrolled, that really shows what's in the heart. And that's why we have to have a heart daily that's filled with the Lord. So when junk hits us, we're not there destroying our testimony or people laugh at God because, ha, you say you trust the Lord and I heard what you said. You got the point there? I, I really, and I, we, we, sit, we can sin with our tongue like we can any of our body parts. And in fact, it's common, we probably do more sinning mm, uh, with our tongue than anything else, if not our minds. You know, we're filled with covetousness. We can be filled with hate, envy, jealousy, uh, unforgiving spirit. These are in the heart sins. They are the sins of the heart. But our tongue, this thing wagging out here, that's a tattletale. Don't you love tattletales? <laughs> uh, my brothers and sisters, we were together. We, we were out sharing on Friday and reminded us a little bit of some of the stories we told you know, my sisters, they were always so goody-goody. I'm going to tell mommy on you. You know, like, <laughs> get over here. Eh, no, you can't make me. You know, this kind of thing. My, my older brother and I, <laughs> you're in trouble. Ah, you know, this kind of thing, right? You know what? Your tongue and my tongue is like that. The tongue waving around, speaking like, it's the tattletale of what's going on in the heart. The, 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 the soul that we all have. Things waving out here and going... Ah, it's a tattletale. That's why it, it behooves us to get on our face, read the word, and cry out to God every day. Only God can control that slippery, slimy thing that's behind the jail bars of our teeth, if you will. It's instructive, isn't it not? That we have two ears and one tongue? How'd you like to have two tongues and one ear? Yeah, wouldn't that be something? You know, what we, what we do, be slow to speak, quick to hear. We, we like, get that backwards, James, right? We're like, uh, oh, what'd you say? You know, like... Anyway, I'm not going to go any further with that. David's behavior is worthy of our imitation as we wrestle with the issues of life. Spurgeon, let me, yeah, I gave a quote from Spurgeon. Uh, he wrote here, and I quote, If we as believers speak bitter words against God in times of depression and trouble, and we all have them, the ungodly will take them up and use them as justification for their sinful ways. Well, look at you. You claim to know Christ. I heard what you said. Ah, I'm going to do what I want. Live in open rebellion. Also, Spurgeon said, our tongues always need watching, for it is, uh, it is as unruly as an unbroken wild horse. That's your tongue and mine. So David's, I'm saying David's, David's uh, words here 
is a reminder as we wrestle with the deep issues of life and the surprises and the brokenness and the hurts and the pains, and we all have them. Don't look through your eyes and think they have it better than me. They don't. The grass is not greener. We live in a fallen, broken world. And God is making the light of the gospel shine in your life and mine through the dark. And when it's dark, it shines brightest. What we say is important. And uh, we can sin with our tongues. I already said that. It's better to remain silent. That discipline of silence. You know, we want to uh, flap our, you know. Silence is a discipline. Uh, rather than be silent than say things that people use against the Lord, we must learn to take all our troubles to the Lord. All of them in prayer like David did. Jesus did that. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing. Stop worrying about it. Be anxious for nothing. In all these things, what? Uh, in, in prayer, uh, bring them to me. Uh, give thanks. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your heart. That's what we need. That's what we really, really need. So be careful what you say. Unguarded ways are generally unholy ones. And, the life, and like sparks of a careless word spread so do, uh, it does great damage. Remember Smokey? Only you can prevent forest fires. Only you can prevent forest fires, right? And, and our tongues are like that. They can let sparks go that create, huh. and what happened to that church? And what happened to that family? Why haven't they talked in 20 years? Horrible. It should not be that way. Guard, Lord, guard my heart. Guard my tongue. Give me the discipline of silence. Quick to hear, slow to speak. That's David. That's all David right here. Well, that's the introduction uh, to his song here. In verses 4 to 7, we look at the second insight, helping you make the most of your time by embracing its brevity, and that is like David, be encouraged. Be encouraged for your life, though brief, and it is. Be encouraged, though your life, though brief, was designed by God and has real meaning. It's just not nonsense. It's, you're not an accident. Sometimes parents will say that, hey, did you know you're an accident? <gasps> Thank you very much. I feel good about that. No, there are no accidents with God. None. You know, we may have met one thing, I be in the way, God used me. How about that? There's no such thing as an accident. And though our life is this short, or maybe that short, or that short, it's still short by eternity's sake, it's good. It's good. You know, like God never said, you know, I didn't know their lives were going to be that short. I really thought it was going to be, you know, we live in a, in the day you eat it, you're going to die. And the generations have got shorter and shorter. Then after the flood, shorter and shorter. Now it's three score and ten and four score, 80 years, if by strength. We were saying that to my mom. Uh, four, four, if by strength, eight years, that's Psalm 90, right? 80 years, what is that? And it may be 40, right? And it could be a whole lot less. A couple weeks ago, I, was talking, I talked to Joe and Nancy Gimbuzi. We need to pray for them. Nancy's lost her hair uh, with her chemo. And Joe's had such terrible problems with a steel plate in his back and the pain and, the, uh, and so on. But uh, I was asking about Sarah's funeral. We had prayed for Sarah for a long time and thought that God might deliver her. And uh, her sister, Nancy's sister dealing with, that's her daughter, Sarah. Deep disappointment with God that why didn't he answer prayer? And now Sarah, who was, how old, honey, how old was Sarah? 33 or something. And uh, they had her funeral. And it went on, and Joe told me all about that. 
And sometimes life is 33. And I've had funerals of boys that were 17 that were killed in car accident. And even a little baby. I came in into, into the church for the, the, the little baby that was two days old. And that was a, something. I walked out. I'll never forget that. Dear church family, walked in. And I went to the little baby's casket. And there's no body in it. That's a strange thing. You know, you, you, you kind of walk, and they're kind of looking around. It's a little baby, so there are not too many people there. And they're all holding the baby, the little body of the baby, passing the baby around. And the, oh, oh. It's a reminder that though life is short, because God is good, it doesn't mean there's no meaning. There's meaning and purpose, and whatever God does is good. And uh, even though our lives are brief, and that's what David is speaking about here in 4 through 7, where he says, and I read, O Lord, and notice he takes, rather than blabbing horizontally, he takes this issue of the heart to the Lord. He goes in this song to the Lord in prayer. O Lord, vocative of address, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Really, let me get a firm handle on this, Lord. It's going to change the way I live. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, uh, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. When you measure someone who's always been and always will be and ever present, what is a few turns of the calendar? My life is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath, Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they're in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth. That's like good Americans, right? We heap up wealth and doesn't know who's going to get it. And now, O oh Lord, what, what do I wait? And here's the hopeful state, the high point of the whole psalm. He comes to resolution. My hope is in you. Wow, when David finally speaks, it's not to man, but it's to the Lord. Another great practice for us. I want to tell it to Jesus. That's an old song. They used to sing, tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus. And when trouble hits you, you and I probably do best just to go home and go into the closet, shut the door, and tell it to Jesus and unburden our hearts to him. And uh, we do well to do that. I have done that so many times in my life. I love faith and all that. And there are times where we, and we go to prayer together, of course, and we deal through issues. But there are other times where we just have to go and, and just, like Jesus said, go in in secret, shut the door, and talk to your Heavenly Father, and your Heavenly Father will hear you. I mean, that's the example of David here, and it's wonderful for us. David unburdens his heart before the Lord. He tells uh, him of being in trouble by the life's shortness. Maybe it was the death of a son. We don't know the context. And uh, also the corresponding emptiness of human existence. I mean, what's it all about, Alfie? What's it all about? It just seems like a sick joke. What is it, Lord? What is it? Doesn't seem right. And then in this, David is echoing Solomon's uh, great questions of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, empty, empty, all is empty. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's the same word. And I teach you a little Hebrew, you say, Habel. Can you say Habel? It's a Hebrew. You can speak Hebrew. Look at that. A little Greek, a little Hebrew, you know, a little dry cleaner and a little, yeah. Habel, 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 That's the word for breath. But it's also translated vapor. It's also translated emptiness. Uh, emptiness of emptiness, a breath of breath. That's what it means. In other words, when you exhale, right, 
uh, on a cold day outside and you see it condense, uh, in the ancient's mind, was, was there anything less than that? You can't even weigh it. And there, it's gone. And when a person was dying, they, they breathe their, la their last. The breath of life, God breathed it in there. It goes out. And that's what we are, is a breath, a vapor. Uh, James used it many centuries later, and James is, what is your life? Seeing it is a vapor. It's just an atmos, Greek word, atmos, vapor, breath. It's the same idea. It's, it's I mean, the very least is, is, is uh, it's not much, if anything. Wow. Some of you uh, uh, know Shakespeare. Some of you hated studying it and you know, maybe about the only thing you enjoyed was Romeo and Juliet. Romeo, Romeo. I'm not going to read from that. But Macbeth, <laughs> his despairing speech, out, out, brief candles. Some of you know that from Act 5. Some of you suffered through that. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But Shakespeare <laughs> wrote uh, Macbeth's despairing speech, out, out, brief candle. And he said, and I quote, life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour uh, upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot. You'll hear that phrase sometimes uh, in some circles. It's a tale told by an idiot. You know, Macbeth is saying. Full of, of sound and fury signifying nothing. Now, Jim Boyce writing about uh, Macbeth's, and Boyce now is in heaven himself, uh, although man is a passing creature who often does merely strut and fret his short hour upon life's stage, he is also more than a passing creature of an earthly day. He, for he was made for eternity, he was made for God himself. And that's the right spin on Macbeth's uh, wrong idea of out, out, brief candle. Well, so David, is number two, is pouring uh, out his heart. Uh, seeking God's wisdom, that's a good practice. He's asking the Lord to help him realize life's brevity and total uncertainty so that instead of being troubled by it, he would cast himself even more completely upon the Lord. You are my hope. My hope is in you. You ever think about hope? Hope is a confident expectation for the future. Really, it's faith. It's really faith in the Lord for the future. So it's really trusting God. We trust him with all our heart, and we lean upon him, not our own fatal, futile, and often sinful, puny uh, understanding. Is that not right? It's true. It's the high point. So David tells us what he learned in giving this painful matter to the Lord in verse 5. And though life may be brief and may be extremely puzzling, and it is, yet it is something that God designed. Your life is no accident. It is good because whatever God does is good. We're, we, we see that in, even in Genesis, right? You know, on the first day, and God saw what he had done. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. I mean, repetition, whatever God does is good. And, and that carries right into that wonderful Romans 8.28. For we know that in all things, God works together for the good. You know, I mean, the, the, the idea of goodness... You know, we live in a world that's lost. Any, is there good and evil? You know, like, no, that, you know, there isn't. If everything's relative in this postmodern world, there is no category of goodness. Used to mean, we said, she's a good girl, she's a good man. Used to mean something in the culture. Meaningless today. It doesn't matter in the mush 
of the sinful, degenerate way that we think as a culture, it doesn't matter. God is good, and the opposite of it is, is evil. And whatever he does is good. And in the English, we carry the word God went into the, because whatever he does, it's a form of the word good. And it is a, a, an extra O there. God is good. God is great. Some of you used to say that when you were kids. But say your grace, sir. God is good. God is great. God, we thank you for this. And so on. God is good. And even in a fallen world that's often upside down, we get battered about, and it dashes our, you know, breaks our heart, and the tears that flow, the veil of tears, we know that David, in verse, whatever God does is good. It's right. He's not surprised for it. In fact, it is God who has fixed the number of your years. I have a collateral Psalm 139, verse 16. Before you lived one year days, God already wrote those days in a book. I take great comfort in that, you know, and we ought to. God is writing the narrative of your life, the story of your life in my life, and it's all for his glory, and it's passing quickly, and it is good. It is good. Again, I remind you, God never said, I didn't know it was going to be that short. Wow. Well, second thing you learned is since life is so short, the only thing that can give meaning in your life is a relationship with the Lord Jesus. That's it. He is a sufficient, infinite reference point of life. And we as a culture have lost that, and we're adrift in all this nonsense. Nothing has meaning. Nothing seems right or wrong. Just do whatever you want. This radical individualism, that's nonsense. Call nonsense nonsense. God is the infinite reference point. He is the one that defines the meaning of all life and of your life and what's right in all the categories of right and wrong in the gospel and all of those things. All else is passing away and if you focus on any of these other things they're, they're, they're going to burn up. They're passing. Your meaning is not found in your possessions, your talents, your abilities, your bank account, your personality, even your families to some. Now, all of this, it is only in the Lord, in the relationship that you bear with him through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what God made. He made you and me for himself, for eternity. And we're restless until we come and walk with him. I saw a little sign across from David. David Mulls. Well, I love that sign, Dave. A church of God. That little, I break my neck to read that little little quip they put on it on St. John's Church when I go to the wide swim. I looked at it and I look, it's a, uh, something to the effect I would like us to have that on our property because that I think is terrific. Um, uh, begin an exercise program in the new year. Walk with God. I like that's wonderful. That's it. God has made us to have a relationship. We pray with him. We pour out our heart. And we open the word and say, Lord, speak to me through the scriptures. In the bulletin, our reading, reading the Bible through, see the passage every week. Gene puts the passage in there. So, you know, on Tuesday, try and keep up. If you're behind, just start where we are. Jump in. And you'll be able to have a testimony like Bev. Walking with Jesus, hand in hand. And I'll tell you, when you come to the point of death, you know, it's okay, Lord. You just walk right into glory with him. Enoch was, uh, walked with God, and God took him. He walked with God. That's the picture for all of us, and that's what God has designed. And without our focus on the Lord, uh, we're like uh, out, in the, uh, out in the woods without a compass. 
How many of you are, are former Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts and all that kind of thing? You know, like, yeah, look at it. Like, I knew we had some real ones, uh, even some eagles and that. So, <laughs> you know, you have to learn to use a compass, right? And the compass point, if it's functional and working right, always points to magnetic north, always. And then you know where you're going, 45 degrees uh, north, northeast or something. And uh, you know then, once you're fixed on that point, where you're headed to. My house is over here. This is the company. Here's my flashlight. It's after dark. I was hunting with Mark. And uh, got to go this way. Because <laughs> otherwise, you're going to go around in circles you, in the woods. In the woods. One thing I had to take a, you, you know, I found this new sport, John and I, in scuba diving. And we had to do, Mike, we had to do, we got certified in navigation. So, that, so the instructor took us down to a reservoir that we, I could only see four feet in front of me. This is what we want. You can't see anything. You can't, you, you've got a compass here on your, on your console, and you hold it right here, and you're down, let's say, 20 feet. You can't see anything, and we're going to lay out a course, and you've got to find your way. You know what you do first thing? You set it magnetic north. And if I don't do that, I just drowned. I don't know where I am. Completely lost. What a great illustration of how God is in our relation. Once our relationship is on him and daily we're renewing it, because overnight it goes out of tune again. Remember? That stupid guitar of mine. How's that? What happened? Someone come in and loosen the strings during the night? Got to tune that thing up again. That's my heart. That relates to me. I get that right on here, and now all of a sudden, ho, things make more sense than they do any other time. I'm, my compass is focused on the Lord in his word, and he gives meaning, direction, in my the sweetness of that relationship with him. And he so works in my heart through the Spirit of God, so no matter what he does, it is well with my soul. In my heart, I have a song. That's the essence of the Christian life. I listened to one Scottish pastor on the radio this week, just caught him for a few, few moments, and he said, you know, we take a lot of classes in school, in seminary, or in college, or university. You take a class, and he goes like, you learn the material so well, and you finish the class, and you're done. You're done. You're finished with it. You don't take accounting 10 all over again, right, Stephen? Or some other calculus, or some other sociology, or something. You're done with it. You're done with it, right? You've got some sort of mastery. The problem, he said, with the pastors is it's the problem with life. We're never finished with it. Christians need to be reminded all the time of the things that they know. New things, sure, but mostly reminding us because we lose our focus. We got trouble within the world, the enemy of our soul, and we not remind. You never finish the class and say, "There you go, you got it. You you get graduated and you're done." Never. It's just our human condition, right? Wow, that's the way it is, right? So use a compass. Focus on the Lord. Grow in your relationship. Focus on keeping that needle north. The last thing quickly, verses 8 to 13, the third insight helping you to make the most of your time uh, is like David. Know that through the discipline, through discipline and correction in your life, God is preparing you for eternity. He's up to something. It's just not, you know, you got the brakes or unlucky you. No, God, through the warp and the woof of your life in detail. Whatever comes into your life, God has ordained it, and it's for a purpose to make you more like Jesus. Because you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. 
for heaven. And God's project is the gospel in you to make you both willing and give you the ability, the same power that raised Jesus, Romans 1, 4, he's making you like Jesus. And I, I got news for you. I don't grow in the easy times. I love the easy times. I'm voting for vacation. Yay, I'm going, right? I'm going to the beach. Yay. No, I usually don't. I, it's usually backwards, right? I can relax. It's when I'm in the nitty-gritty and the grind and I'm forced to my, cry out to God, I grow. I, I, I have clearer perspective. Uh, I, I'm sorry that that's the way it is, really. I hate to tell you that. People that say, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Come to Jesus. Holy cow. I, I, I like to, Please explain that a little bit more. You know? Why is it that when the Lord had thousands in his initial ministry, they, <laughs> as he began to notch up and show what discipleship's about, they kind of fanned out, and they sort of ended up with, what, 12 and then 11? Like, where are the thousands? Are you leaving too, Peter? You know, Lord, where shall we go? <laughs> anyway, that's the nature of it. God's preparing you now for heaven. The reality is on your sheet, I have life here and now is God's schoolroom. You're in school. I hate to tell you, some of you graduated and burned your books and throw you through your notes out. <laughs> some of the things we do, right? And, and all that. That wasn't, wasn't you. And say, I, I graduated. No, no, you haven't. No, you're not ready yet. And God is uh, working. And, uh, and for those whom he loves, he disciplines. Just like a father or son, right? Hebrews 12, 6. You know, if, you're, if you don't have the correction and the discipline of God in your life and you just go out and I name the name of Jesus and just go out and do whatever, without feeling some heat and God, like, whacking you to get your attention, like, what in the world? What are you doing, man? I mean, then you, may, you better examine your heart. You may not be saved. That's what the text says. And uh, God kind of whacks us. He's a, he, he's a perfect father. Sometimes I discipline the wrong one in our family. Get over here, David. You know, you're getting it. And it was really Jonathan. You know, I'm like, <laughs> and, I, and, and David got it. Like, and sometimes I goofed up like that. You know, I'm not on mission. You know, God is the perfect discipliner, and he's patient, and he knows exactly what buttons to push in your life and mine to bring us to the point of submission and growth and Lord. And that's David here. Yeah, he knew that God was, he's, he's, he ends up by talking about being a sojourner. I'm a traveler. What? He's not home yet. And God's preparing him for that day. And David's feeling the heat here of God's hand upon him. Uh, it, his, his words are rather amazing here when he talks in verse 10, remove your stroke. He's talking to God. From me, I'm spent by the hostility of your hand when you discipline a man. David is, is being disciplined here, uh, uh, being confronted with a sin in his life. And you consume like a moth what is dear to him. God just evaporates it. Another place, God says, you think you're going to rob God of tithes and offering? I'll put holes in your pocket and the money that will be gone. He has a way of getting our attention to cause us to be faithful. And, and, and he has a way of blessing. We're like, wow, Lord, this is amazing. You couldn't have figured that out. That's God. He's creative. And when we go the wrong way, God has a way of getting our attention. And he will. And he's patient. And he loves you. And he's preparing you for heaven. So you're still in school. David wonders why God makes so much of man. 
And God is so great and we're so puny, you go to the nearest sun, look back, can't even see the earth, let alone people on it. God, why do you make so much of that you would even involve yourself in my life? That's what Job asked. Remember that? I have it on there. Job 7, what is man that you make so much of him? I mean, David said it in Psalm 8, you know, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what, can I add, what in the world is this man, man or woman, that you even think about him? You know, like, next to Saturn, do you think you want to stand up extra tall? You know, like, like I don't think so. The reality is, this stuff is passing. You were made for eternity, and God is preparing you because you're not ready yet. I remember playing on some teams and uh, worked so hard, whether it was basketball, I never did do too well with that. And the coach, actually my basketball coach, recommended I go out for wrestling next year and not basketball. And I said, Coach, let me in. You're not ready yet. I go, oh, okay. I'll be the sixth man on the team. And I was. You're not ready yet. We're not ready yet. God is still up to something. He's getting us ready, conforming us, making us like Jesus, even as David was experiencing the corrective hand of God. The answer, God's making much of men and women today because he's preparing you to live with him forever. You're not simply a creature for the here and the now. You're so much more than that. Since God made us for himself, what we do now matters. It matters how, what you think. And, you know, we ought to go back to the little songs we teach our kids, right? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little hands, little feet, little mouth. You know, like we, get, we grow up, we forget these things. Well, the, the little things and the things we do or don't do matter now. God hears every word we say. In him we live, move, and have our being. He hears every word. And he's molding us and making us for eternity's sake. You are more valuable than any and all the stuff. Remember, you're not home yet. You're not home. David talks about being a sojourner in verse 12, a guest. You're not home. You're not home. Home's a great word, isn't it? One of the most loved words in the English language, home. Or Spanish, casa, right? Mi casa, right? Home, home. Oh, the, the greatest song they tell me, John, you could check, but we just, I just heard it sung a bunch of times at Christmas time was White Christmas, I'll be home for Christmas. And people tear up if they're away from their ones, you know. Home, there's something home. Military, and Brenda mentioned about the military, pray for something about home. Home is heaven. This is not. We're hiking through here. We're our pilgrims. Don't get so attached here and now. Here we're sojourners and strangers, and you need to remind yourself we're on the hunkering down here and, uh, because we're not ready, and someday we will be. Home with the Lord. Well, what difference? Notice that. What difference should this make in your life? What difference does all this make or should make? Well, let me suggest some things. Um, again, God's wonderful word warns us of the words we speak. Ask the Lord to set a guard. Lord, set a guard over my mouth so that what comes out only and always is seasoned with grace and builds up anyone that hears, those that are Christian and those that are lost. And remember, Lord, I need to be reminded this is ultimately an issue of my heart. Grumbling, complaining, murmuring, backbiting, gossiping, all of this stuff. 
And, and, uh, and, 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 and here's the thing I do. Uh, when I, during my prayer time, I ask the Lord to bring the mind where I've sinned with my tongue because I want to get it out. And, you know, it makes me more and more and more sensitive. You know, the things I say, and then the things I should say and don't say. Lord, forgive me for fear of man. I want to fear only you. I want the grace of God. Lord, and deal with that. Your words are the tattletale of what's going on in your heart. Lord, let my heart be right. That's a 24-7. Guard your heart without all diligence. Out of it are the issues of life. Proverbs 4.23. And so help me, Lord. Number two, your days are passing. They are. You, uh, if you're like me, you, you, know, you threw some calendars in the trash. Gone. You know, I, don't, I keep my, my appointment book for I don't know why. I got them for 35 years. I, I don't think I ever look back. I don't know why I keep them. You know, they're somewhere. They're in the basement, most of those people. <laughs> but they're gone, right? Worthless. I mean, there it is. Determine to live. Will you determine to live the rest of your life giving your life away? Will you live to give? Will you live to give? If you do, you'll never regret it. Be the Lord's blessing to all you know and live with. And if you do this, God will share, you know what? God will share his joy with you and contentment. He will. I promise you, he said that. And contentment is such a gift. Only a few people have it. But God will share that. That's abundant living. I mean, you have to be intentional about this. I wonder, really, don't, don't go to sleep, don't get ready. Will you make an intentional commitment right now to live to give? in the few days that remain. Will you, Lord, I, I, I do that right now. Join me with that. Number three, don't despise God, the Lord's discipline in your life. For you're, you're in school, and he's preparing you for heaven. You're not ready yet. So when he brings conviction in your heart, a pressure, and you can't, you're always thinking about it. Oh, that's not right. That's not, deal with that. Keep your conscience healthy. You, you want that. It goes up. You know, don't do it, don't do it, you did it, you did it. That guilt, well, just confess that and deal with it and turn from it, okay? When he brings conviction or pressure or troubles in your life, seek him, Lord. He may be trying to get your attention. It's not right. Get it right. And if that doesn't work, he knows how to bring more so that you live for him and grow in grace and you're more content than ever. It's a strange thing, this whole thing, and it's because of our sinful hearts. Forsake sin. Run to him. He'll forgive you, receive you. Don't harden your heart. Don't do it. You'll be in trouble. Number four, remember, we're not home. You're not home. You're going to go to your house here, your apartment, whatever. That's not home. You're only there for a little bit. How about, you ever think about that? If houses could tell a story, wouldn't you like to know the stories of when, when sometimes when Faith and I are driving, you go into Pittsburgh, like that Beth did, and we see some of these old farmhouses along the through, uh, turnpike, and you're like, oh, boy, that looks like it's 150 years. Boy, I wonder what stories that house could tell, who lived there, and what went on, and, and what were the high, you know, I ever think like this, the story of those old homes, the, the people coming and going, people coming and going, coming and going. I mean, if the Lord tarries, we look around our house, and like, well, I wonder who's going to live here next. That's where we're not home yet. Live that way. My father used to say in a whole different context, Terry, you know, travel light. And you don't have all this stuff that you become bound to. That's going to break, right? Got to take my car in Tuesday again. They got to <laughs> fix the car again. 
breaks, right? You're not home yet. Someday we'll be home. Number five and last. Today, Jesus is calling all sinners to himself. He's calling. Come unto me, he says, just as you are. And Jesus will receive you, and he can be your savior. And your friends and neighbors and people need to know that message, if you do. And you're, you're the ambassador of Jesus to carry that message to them. Well, time in a bottle. We never have enough time to do the things we want to do once we find them. But you're the one I want to go through. That little love song he sang to his wife, I want to go through time. Time, wow. Uh, in your bulletin, there's a little, from time to time, we'll uh, sing a little, little hymn here that kind of really encapsulates uh, the message and sing it a cappella um, and then we'll close in prayer and we'll be done. Let's stand and Savior like a shepherd because time is brief. We need his tender care. Let's just sing a cappella without the instrument, the first uh, and the last. Shall we do that? Savior like a shepherd lead us much we need thy tender care in thy pleasant pastures feed us for our use thy folds prepare blessed Jesus blessed Jesus Thou hast bought us, thine we are. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, Thou hast bought us, thine we are. Early let us seek thy favor, Early let us do thy will. Blessed Lord and only Savior, with thy love our bosoms fill. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast loved us, loved us still. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, Thou hast loved us, loved us still. Now, Father, we thank you so much for this day and for this hour, and we pray that these words will linger long and form in our heart. The Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we ask that you'd bless us and make us a blessing as we now depart and enter into the mission field of this week. And bring us back again rejoicing, Lord, after another week in time, if you should so permit. And may we redeem the time and live for you every moment of every day. And say with Paul, for me to live is Christ. Dismiss us now. We love you so. In Jesus' name, amen. We are dismissed.